Today's show is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Sign up for a free premium 30-day trial specifically for the listeners of Geekspace 9 at the URL GameflyOffer.com slash GS9. Again, that is GameflyOffer.com slash the letter G, the letter S, and the number 9. Hello and welcome to Geek Space 9, the Tuscan Shed Media Network podcast where we discover and or rediscover the classic Star Trek series Deep Space 9. With me as always is Peter Dency. How are you, Peter? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I'm slightly drowsy because right because right now it's like like raining and thunderstorms in Houston, but other than that, I'm good. Awesome. And Sarah Becker, how are you, Sarah? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Ben. And I'm Ben Haworth. And this week we discussed Season 3, Episode 15 and 16, which is Destiny and Profit Motive. So first up is Destiny. In this episode, Cisco, Odo, and Dax prepare for the arrival of a team of Cardassian scientists who plan to deploy a subspace relay to allow communication through the Bajoran wormhole to the Gamma Quadrant for the first time, a welcome act of peace between Cardassia and the Federation. However, things take a unique turn when Vedic Yarka asks to see Commander Sisko. Yarka like many Bajorans, believe Sisko is the emissary, a messiah of the Bajoran people who will bring them to salvation. Yarka feels the arrival of the Cardassians and their mission is too similar to a Bajoran prophecy called Tracor's Third. The prophecy reads, When the river wakes, stirred once more to Janir's side, three vipers will return to their nest in the sky. When the vipers try to peer through the temple gates, a sword of stars will appear in the heavens. The temple will burn, and its gates shall be cast open. Yarka believes that a river on Bajor, having just been reverted as a sign of the coming prophecy, and that the, Viker, that the vipers speak of the Cardassian scientists who are set to come aboard. However, Sisko dismisses Yarka, lurking that he is more of a fringe Vedic, and that there are only two Cardassian scientists who are supposed to be on the mission. However, Kira is alarmed and becomes convinced in the prophecy's accuracy when a third Cardassian scientist arrives. Even more complicated is two of the scientists, Yulani and Galora, are at odds with the more traditional Dejar. Even worse, poor O'Brien can't catch a break, being insulted and degraded by Galora, who feels that men are not capable of technical skill. After arriving on the other side of the wormhole, the Defiant crew discovers a comet, which Kira interprets as the sword of stars that will appear in the heavens. Kira urges Sisko not to go, but he still doubts the prophecy. Kira argues that since the prophets are aliens who see time non-linearly, it's not scientifically impossible for them to have spread their knowledge of the future to Tricor and others. She also admits that she does believe Sisko is the emissary. Despite this, Sisko continues on. The relay is deployed, but it accidentally causes the wormhole's gravity well to increase. This begins pulling the comet towards it. This is a major issue as the comet contains silithium, an element that if exposed to the wormhole too long would close it forever. The crew modifies the Defiance phasers to destroy the comet in one piece, but the phaser fails, splitting the comet into three, and it seems the prophecy will come true and the wormhole will be shut forever. 
O'Brien thinks he failed, but Galora reveals that it was Dejar, who is actually part of the Obsidian Auror, who was sent there to ruin the mission in order to make the first Cardassian Bajoran operation a failure. Sisko and Kira decide to take a shuttlecraft and use a subspace field to surround the fragments and pass them through the wormhole safely. They manage, but some Silithium sneaks out, causing a permanent rift that allows for the communication links to work. Sisko and Kira realize that the prophecy came true, and they just misinterpreted it. The Vipers were actually the three comet pieces, and the gates burned open so that there will always be a slight rift allowing communications through the wormhole. The crew return home, and O'Brien is surprised when Galora starts to come on to him, as verbal sparring is usually a sign of affection in Cardassian cultures. O'Brien politely refuses, and Sisko meets with Vedic Yarka to discuss Tracor's fourth prophecy. What do we think of Destiny? O'Brien's still the best husband in the galaxy. <laughs> yes! Just, like... It, it, like it's like it's like they, it's like they use every opportunity it's like they use every opportunity where, where where it's o'brien and another woman to be like yeah dude I, I, in, in case in case you in case the last time that this happened confused you like, you got you got any kind of mis, 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 misinterpretation o'brien is super in love with keiko yes <laughs> it's so great i hope he gave and keiko some shown... shade about it later on <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, uh, on that point, he uh, he's he's really showing some personal growth as well. He's or continuing to do so, anyway. Because uh, last time I checked, O'Brien, you know, violently hated Cardassians. So the fact that a Cardassian woman kissed him and he didn't die on the spot, <laughs> I think, is you know pretty good of him. It's also just a good day for uh, O'Brien when the worst thing Cardassian does to you is kiss you think you know yes yeah that's true your history with cardassians is going up so yeah i thought this was an interesting episode um i think it was uh, a very interesting idea to sort of follow along in actual religious prophecy with like real results i always find religious prophecies in these things like star wars very silly usually because they're very vague or they don't Mm -hmm. have sort of a person I don't have an explanation, but this one kind of had all three. It had like a real person and sort of had interesting possible scientific explanation for why the prophecy came true. And also just interesting idea of the way you interpret faith, which I thought was very interesting. So curious if you guys felt the same. Yeah, it is uh, really weird to look at it in that way, because normally with prophecies, whether they're, you know, in um, real world religions or they're in other you know, science fiction or, you know, other genres of fiction. Um, They usually just sort of happen because somebody has a mystical power. They believe that it was, you know, from a deity or something like that. But in in this case, you know, the orbs, you know, are a real thing in this universe sent by real beings in that universe. So they, they actually have a way to you know, see visions of the future. And so you can't brush it off as, oh, those crazy Bajorans with their, you know, overzealous religious people. It's, oh, well, they, that there's actually some clout to what they say. They didn't know what they were seeing, but they definitely saw something that was real. Yeah, it, it, remi- it reminded me of the, um, God, what, what were they, uh, it reminded, what were they called? Um, in, 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 Arri- in Arrival, the, uh, the octopods, I believe, the I believe they were called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, what was that? 
heptapods heptapods I, I i knew it was something i just for, i just cannot forget which one but yeah it, it reminded me of, of the of the heptapods with, with with how with how they saw with how they also saw time uh in and and in a non-linear form and, and how and how that and how that affected their language and how they talked and, and how and and how now in the in that film and how in in that film when when the heptapod when the heptapod said 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 to said to one group of humans uh, on Earth like in, in one of in one of the locations I believe it was Russia I think but 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 when but when they asked do you want the weapon and and so and so and so everyone immediately thought that you know that you know because because of, because of how because of how we normally interpret the word weapon that it was like okay we're going to war whereas with the heptapods whereas with the heptapods. Um, much, 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 much like, much like I said on that podcast when we were talking about arrival, um, re- re- referencing the Bible, um, life and life and death is in the power of the tongue, and that's how the heptapod saw words. Mm. That 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 is how they saw language, and so and so I like and so I like how in this episode, that's that's that same concept of of it's really how you interpret it. That it's really how you interpret. Um, any kind of text, whether any any kind of text where where, where it's not necessarily concrete, whether uh, religious, secular, otherwise, whatever, that 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 would that would dictate your act dictate your actions, and I and I really appreciate it for the, for that aspect of it. And I I really enjoyed how they wrote the prophecies. Well, thank you for bringing up arrival, Peter, because uh, I was going to, and you said it perfectly. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, I like it because these prophecies often do have this sort of thing. If you read uh, Revelations or Nostradamus or whoever right, kind of prophecy right, you want to right. go through, they tend to have this sort of vagueness to them where it's like three vipers. Well, that just means three things that are bad, you know, that are scary. Right. Uh, a, a gate, you know, can be so many things. A a river can be so many things. There's so many ways that you can sort of interpret it. I remember like when when 9/11 happened, a lot of people pointed this one Nostradamus thing about two brothers falling, but that could mean a million things, you know. And it's right, or it could be that Nostradamus actually saw the future. And what I like is it doesn't sort of ambiguously where it's like maybe this is just really coincidental, and we because we were thinking of the prophecy thought that this was come true, or it was in fact that Tracor saw this, but because he did not know what comets were and what a wormhole was and what a shuttle was you know uh he wrote sort of in his own language what that could mean and mm-hmm. we have to interpret what we think he thought he saw which i thought was a very interesting way of dealing with it and i like this sort of science first faith thing they're going for because of the non-linear element it does give a more faith-based thing is that's when something people talk about the arrival is like so wait does that mean that uh all time is like predetermined and you have no free will but then she might exhibit free will for the choice uh, at the end of the movie you don't want to spoil but uh yeah i haven't actually seen arrival yet so i appreciate yes. that <laughs> oh yeah no we're, yeah we're not yeah we're not gonna say it we're not gonna say it yeah yeah um so there 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 is that interesting element where when you sort of break out of your normal way of viewing something there there sort of isn't a scientific reason something couldn't see some time non literally as far as i understand but it's so beyond our realm of understanding that it feels like religious to us and i think that's why this one fit in well because there's always been godlike characters like q and it's never felt too much like it's going too far in the religious elements you know what i mean i think 
Mm-hmm. typically people don't like when they mix you know like uh indiana jones for having aliens it's like well um, but if jesus oh, and aliens exist yeah. that feels weird you know? yeah, that, that, yeah that, that was the crystal skull one wasn't it yeah i mean that movie has a lot of other problems but that's part of it it's, yeah it just actually, doesn't fit with that mode never, i actually never saw that movie and part of me is just like keep it that way yeah, you're, you're yeah, good. Yeah, you're not missing out. Good yeah. to know. The only way you're missing out is that Kate Blanchett is in it. This is And true. she's always good. That, But you can watch a plethora of yes. other movies with Kate Blanchett and have a much more pleasant experience. Watch yeah. uh, watch this year's Manifesto where she's going to play 13 characters. Saying, oh my god! Oh, sorry, what? What? It's, a, it's an amazing art piece that they've now made to a movie, so it probably won't be as good as the art exhibit, but it's her reading 13 art- artist manifestos as different characters. It's that how cool. sounds amazing. It's really cool. I've heard the art installation is like the coolest thing ever, so it'll give us at least a glimpse of what it's like, you know. Yes. So keep watch, an eye out check for that one, that's for yes, sure. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you both are sort of uh, somewhat more grounded in the faith-based elements. I'm not sure about your religious, but I'm just curious for you how this felt, uh, the whole faith versus science thing this episode dealt with. Well, honestly, um, d- despite the, you know, not unfounded comment you just made about, you know, knowing, you know, being more grounded in the religious part, I'm saying this wrong. Anyway, all of that to say, when they like, quote reinterpreted the prophecy at the end my gut reaction was oh come on really like it's just words that somebody made up you're moving your life around to make it make Mm. sense with words that somebody said three thousand years ago right and um you know until we started this podcast i didn't really think about the fact that well you know again with the you know the physical orbs being there and the actual you know aliens inside the wormhole being there it probably has more i don't know justification than real world prophecies right because there is that makes sense scientific out which i think is very interesting that they've added about the the prophets this is a prophets we seem to have interesting pairs where last week we had two kira heavy episodes now we have two prophet heavy episodes which i think is very interesting Mm -hmm. we don't sort of attend it but uh the the second one deals with the prophets in a more funny way but uh yes also equally sort of interestingly talks about the way they can see the future well i want to jump back to the to the cardassians i thought it was really interesting Uh i I leveled a uh somewhat provocative comment on our on our uh message about how cardassians have more women and uh powers especially of uh engineering and science than the real world but it was very interesting that it was three cardassian female scientists as well as the whole O'Brien thing. So I'm curious how you guys felt about the the view on that and women in Cardassian society in general. I thought that there was a great commentary on how, you know, in the modern world still, and, you know, even, even when this episode was made, um, you know, male scientists often looked down on female scientists and it was you know believed that you know as galora says to miles but switching the pronouns around um that uh you know women don't have the head for science they should stick to doing other things and that's just what galora said to miles about males (laughs) she was you know (laughs) is active sexism (laughs) against 
males of a species, which I thought was, you know, hilarious and also, you know, eye-opening. Yeah, like, it, like for for me, for me, it, it reminded me of the of the hashtag that started, I think, in twenty fifteen, in in, in two thousand fifteen, uh, the hashtag distractingly sexy. Uh, yes. That that, that, that that female scientists use where where because because a bunch because a bunch of men had made the comment where it's like women can't do science or at least I can't or at least I or at least I can't do this kind of stuff when women are around. They're too sexy around and they're distracting all of the, and distracting the male gaze and it's like they're there doing work yeah they are there mm-hmm. to work and they are as intelligent if not more intelligent in some in some probably many cases as you why is this an issue yeah and i thought it was very interesting how we've seen women of power a lot in this Kardashian universe and i hadn't really thought about it till this episode but you know yeah. we've seen a lot of the people in the obsidian order are women uh you know there's an obsidian order woman here and there's an obsidian order agent uh that episode where they were trying to catch Thomas Riker, um, and the judge was uh, a woman. Oh, yeah, the judge mm-hmm. uh, and the O'Brien trial, and it just some I've just thought about after this episode how interesting it is that, and depressing it is that a fascist society seems to have more respect for women of power than our own society, which is a little bit depressing to think about. But... And I and I think oh sorry no go. On. No, I, 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 I also, I also think it's interesting how, 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 but how between the, uh, yeah, 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 but yeah, between 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 the two alien races that, that that we see most often outside of humans, the 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 Ferengi and the Cardassians, that it's like that's like with the Ferengi, women women literally like have nothing, not even clothes, but with Cardassians, it's like it's like fascist society, but women have a lot of clout here. And it's 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 interesting how they have these how how they have these two directly opposed sides to to women in power or women with no power. Yeah, and I think it's mm-hmm. it's been very interesting to sort of learn more about Cardassian society as it goes along because I think it's been a lot more mm-hmm. intricate and complex than it probably had any right to be. I guess because it's very easy to mm-hmm. sort of make a fascist uh, society. Um, but I guess you have to stick around with them for a while and you have to sort of learn what they are more. And I really appreciate that the show is presenting a very interesting society for that reason. Mm-hmm. And a reasonably, or at least somewhat balanced society as well, because as we saw with that episode where uh, Kira looks like a Cardassian for a while, um, not all of the Cardassians are part of that fascist mentality. And there are some as we would view them, good Cardassians out there. Right. And actually a couple of these scientists uh, seem to feel the same way when they, you know, threw the jar under the bus when they're like, she sabotaged it. It's her fault. Yeah. <laughs> because she doesn't want it to go well. Or, or even, or even earlier in the ep- even earlier in the episode when they were like, "Yeah, we kind of enjoy, uh, ha- we kind of enjoy like a, 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 a eating a variety of non-Cardassian food. Yeah, no, that was really interesting, the way that they sort of were, like, more broad in their horizons and didn't want to sort of eat the stuff that Quark was giving them to butter them up, so to speak. Yeah. Right. What you- and they were so sweet. Well, like, when they first showed up on the ship and they have to do all the, you know, political talk right at the beginning, and they're like, actually, we don't really know what we're doing. We're just scientists. We're here to Oh, I love that. Where they're like, uh, 
Like, what have you been doing on your trip? Honestly, last three days you're preparing what we're gonna say right now. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like it's like we're just as nervous as you are. Trust us. Which I thought was great, and it's it's nice to see that the Cardassians are at least attempting a peace. Uh, which I guess leads me to my next question: We've been sort of hinting at a darker side to the Obsidian Order, where the episode before they were, uh, like I said in that Thomas Riker episode, they were had this sort of secret base somewhere that they didn't let uh, Gold Ducat into and this time they're sort of trying to stop uh, uh, this exchange from happening just to shame the peace agreement so I'm curious what you think is going on with the Obsidian Order right now and if there's a sort of a faction break between them and the front office hmm at least at least the beginnings at least the beginnings of i mean i mean like i mean mm-hmm. we've we've basically been seeing we've, we've basically been seeing a few, a few different sides to to, to the cardassians those those that those that obviously want to keep um like the, the old the old status quo though those that those that want to affect change either through cooperation um like i think like the two scientists that we met who um uh, the scientists blah, 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 the two scientists that we met in this episode um or 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 even or even cardassians um i forget i've or, or even cardassians who, who want to affect change through like affect change essentially through rebellion so 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 it so it wouldn't surprise me if it wouldn't surprise me if if, he, if even within the within the obsidian obsidian order itself there there are there are those and there are those in the background who are just like okay we need to take like some pretty dirty measures in, in order in order to keep in order to keep doing what 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 we are comfortable with rather rather than just kind of going along yeah and there's there's always the you know more extremist group of a particular group of people like um you know i don't know just because this is the first one i can think of off the top of my head like you know the the tea party being a you know radically conservative group of the republican party like clearly they they, they don't, their views don't really align but they're under the same umbrella and so that's sort of how i view the obsidian order in terms of you know cardassia as a whole and to just to quickly go back to uh the religious element again how do you feel about the fact that uh uh we, we have our main character cisco is becoming more and more this messiah figure which i i know from my friend who's watched the show he's just hinted at that uh there's definitely something they focus on even more in the future. Is this too space Jesus-y for you, or do you sort of like what it's doing so far? Too what? Space Jesus-y. Space Jesus. <laughs> um, not yet. Yeah. But it could get there. Yeah, I, I could definitely see how it could get there. Yeah, I, I think I think for I think for now, like, and and, and it, it's been, it's kind of been that way more I kind of been, like more or less been that way since the beginning I, I think right now what especially what especially keeps it from being too space jesusy is is, is the is, is the simple fact that Cisco doesn't see himself as this as this messianic figure he just sees himself as a man who ha- who who in, who in different who in different situations when, whenever whenever um, these prophecies come up just just sees himself as someone who is who is who is in the right place at the right time doing the right thing but it, exactly but, but, it, but, but that but that's simple that's simple but it's more it's more because he's doing what he feels is right 
rather rather than rather than he's doing it because he's trying to fulfill something he's trying to serve a greater purpose yeah and i i guess that's my hope is that it continues to be in that frame what you're saying peter mm-hmm. where it is just more him trying to maintain that greater purpose and ignoring the idea that he has to be this leader but it, it's certainly the case that he's already done that before at least in past tense you know where we've already seen him rewrite history not on purpose but in necessity to include himself so yeah. it's not like he doesn't have these sort of weird mystical elements about him in some way or another so i can see why it can become more so in the future as the series goes along i, I guess i guess i guess at least for now like like why like why you could say that it's not necessarily mystical is, is because is because it's you know like 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 any like any show where there are um in, like any show where, where, where there are where it's kind of an ensemble cast there are different different episodes will focus on different characters and and and, the, and, the, and those episodes will have will have like a certain tone to them and and, and with cisco we just happen to get ep- we just happen to get episodes that that that, that are that are based around that are, that are based around a plot point that was introduced in the beginning and that's just kind of how it's been i guess also because he's the captain so it's like and so it's and so it's because, so you know you're kind of automatically set up to be like a hero <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you're always sort of i guess it's the differences picard and kirk are not as knowingly protagonists even though they clearly are yeah they always get into so much shenanigans that's more true. than mm-hmm. an average human being but we got to tell stories obviously uh so i wonder if that would play somewhat into why he goes into so many situations and has to deal with so many things because he is this space jesus-y person space jesus space jesus <laughs> my new disco album <laughs> For you, the listeners of Geek Space 9, Gamefly is offering a premium, free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And you guys, if you are gamers out there, and I'm sure if you listen to Star Trek, you very well could be a gamer, you guys have to check out Gamefly.com. They have over 8,000 new releases and classics available to rent for Xbox One, PS4, Wii U, and a lot of older systems as well. And get this. You can have any console game or handheld game delivered directly to your mailbox that you get to have as long as you want. And I don't know about you guys, but if you've gone to the game store lately and bought a new AAA game, you'll find out that things are pretty dang expensive. And you could be $60 in a hole of a game you don't even like, whereas in Gamefly, you can just send that bad boy back, get a new one in, and keep that one as long as you like. There are never any due dates or late fees. And get this, now Gamefly actually lets you rent Blu-ray and DVD movies as too. So if you're a nerd like me and still get your movies in the mail the old-fashioned way, old-fashioned as in 2005, then you're going to love Gamefly.com. Plans start with one disc a month for $15.95, but as mentioned before, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to GameFlyOffer.com slash GS9. Again, that's GameFlyOffer.com slash the letter G, the letter S, and the number 9 for your free 30-day trial. Next up is Profit Motive, which is the uh, first direct uh, first episode directed by Rene Abergenois. Uh, as Odo. Oh. Yes. So another actor takes uh, the director's chair in this one. Yay. 
In this episode, poor Quark loses his bedroom to the only person who could possibly kick him out, the Grand Negazek, who arrives on the station in order to share the good news about his new book, The New Rules of Acquisition, which he thinks will change Ferengi life forever. Quark and Rom are excited to see the new work, but are horrified that the book incites such loathsome ideas as charity and lack of greed and goodwill towards others. Blech. Even weirder, Zek decides to build a charity that will give away all of Zek's fortune with Rom in command. Quark and Rom begin to investigate before Zek presents his new ideology to the Ferengi people and all three are killed for blasphemy. Bashir finds nothing wrong with Zek, so they break into his shuttle with the help of Zek's sworn helper, Maherdu, who is also worried about him. They discover that Zek has one of the orbs of the prophets. When Quark opens it, he sees a vision of Zek, who discusses a gift the prophets gave him. Quark realizes that Zek must have tried to visit the prophets in order to gain knowledge of the future and profit off upcoming trends, but something must have happened to him. Quark, Rom, and Mehardu kidnap the Nagus, and Quark flies back, hies him back through the wormhole. Quark uses the orb to meet the prophets. The prophets reveal that they found Zek's desire for material things disgusting, and discovered that Ferengi were once a more peaceful, altruistic society. So the prophets, quote, devolved him back to that state. Quark begs them to evolve him back, but is threatened to become nice as well. However, Quark convinces them that if he could come after the prophets, so could others. But restoring Zek will mean no Ferengis will ever return. The prophets, who hate outsiders, agree and restore the Nagus back to his greedy former self. Back on the station, Zek dismantles his charity, has all the copies of the new rules of acquisition destroyed, and doesn't thank Quark at all. However, Quark is very happy to discover that Rom embezzled money from Zek's foundation. On a separate plot, Bashir is surprised but annoyed to find out he has been nominated for the most prestigious award in medicine, the Carrington Award. Bashir explains to Dax that most people are nominated for the award towards the end of their career, and as the youngest nominee in history, he won't win. Bashir continues to show annoyance at people suggesting he will win, but when the day finally comes and he doesn't in fact win, he admits to Dax that he is quite upset. What do we think of Profit Motive? Poor Bashir. Yeah. I think it would have been better if, I think it would have been better if everybody had not talked it up to him so much because he got it into his head. Like, well, everybody else thinks I can win. Maybe I got this. I I think that was the idea of the episode. He kept trying to be like, stop. But then he, I liked when Oda was like, I'm not going to win. I was like, so why are you writing your acceptance speech? He's like, he's just like, damn it. You found me out. Yeah, I understand where he's coming from. I think we all have those moments where we know we're not going to win something or or something's just not going to go in our favor. We're not going to get that thing. But you still can't not be like, damn it. (laughs) I thought there was a possibility. Like the fact that there's And everyone around you, like if they're good friends, they're like, you know, oh, you're totally going to win. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're going to get that spot. You're going to get that job. You're going to get that audition. Yeah. Seeing the Nagus be nice was so strange. It was hilarious. It was really weird. It was so weird. And <laughs> I like, okay, 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 actually, I, I, ha, I, ha, I have to bring it up. When Quark went to, when Quark went to go, um, uh, went, 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 to, went, went to go meet the prophets, 
hearing my Hardu talk. Oh, that that surprised me. Like that tripped yeah. me out a little bit. Like when he showed up and like spoke words, I was like, "Wait, didn't <laughs> like?" Did, I was like, "Didn't Quirk and Rom, didn't Quirk and Rom say like ten minutes ago?" Oh, that's right. You can't actually say anything because you're sworn to silence. But you, because you're sworn to silence for, to any to anyone except for the Nagus. And then he just opens his mouth. I was just like, and I was like, mm. I'm. It's like Quirk. You need to have like more of a reaction to my heart. To my heart, you saying something. <laughs> yeah, I was a little disappointed that they didn't sort of uh, explore some of Quirk's backstory. I wanted like I don't know, maybe a hint of his dad or his mom or something. But uh, oh, yeah, it was still worth it for the my heart reveal. Where I was like, whoa tiny ron gotta talk i thought that was awesome yeah <laughs> yeah i love the prophets that whole talking in different people thing i never gets old to me i think that's mm-hmm. great i think that's the coolest thing ever and i want it all the time <laughs> and i quite like them being sassy and being like hmm in the the idea that the d evolved ferengi were nicer and more yeah. peaceful what happened <laughs> that yeah that's what i want to know where, where, it, where that's what I like switch. about the Fring is that they've shown to be the exact opposites of human beings where in this future the humans have evolved past the things of greed and and malice and things like that and become a more peaceful exploratory society whereas the, the Ferengi did the exact opposite which I think is hilarious mm. the, the Ferengi were like yeah we kind of did that but we weren't really getting anywhere so we thought you know why not just screw everyone else over and go everyone but do the same thing again and again and again which kind makes you wonder if the ferengi evolved from being altruistic to being greedy and the human and human and humans did the exact opposite what who's to say that you know like a thousand years down the line or like a few thousand years down the line there will be like another switch who knows why are you like this basically <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to find a list of all the new rules but uh i can't oh seem my to god find a list of them but they <laughs> i particularly it's so funny watching them trying watching to the figure horror it out. on cork's face as he read them <laughs> I, I, like, it's too painful i particularly liked when uh uh he's just trying to like to do secrets in the book like he was like tell me every line and he's like if never keep profit a good smile honesty yeah <laughs> that's yeah. a rule no Wait, no, that makes no sense. <laughs> he like tries to lick it. And he tries to see the light in the page. He's like just certain that there just can't be. All right, here's the six listed rules, new rules that they have. All right. Uh, if they want their money back, give it to them. Mm-hmm. Greed is dead. Service. Never place profit before friendship. Latinum tarnishes, but family is forever. <laughs> Which I love Corkos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, money can never replace dignity and a good deed is its own reward <laughs> this is like ultimate good samaritan type stuff <laughs> yep i just love how how cheesy they are too it's just wonderfully wonderfully saccharine uh mm-hmm. and it's just everything that ferengis aren't which <laughs> is poor cork i just like the whole idea of an episode where they keep the whole purpose is to make a guy a shitty, greedy person again. <laughs> I loved Quark's impassioned speech. 
preach to the prophets. He's like, but this is the way we are. You've changed the foundation of who he is as a person. He's responsible for the lives of millions of Ferengi. <laughs> and they'll kill him if he comes back and he's like this. <laughs> and they're like, that's fine. They'll understand. It's like, And no. the fact is he convinced them. Yeah, I liked his out. I, I thought that was a good... He's smart. He knew he saw what the prophets wanted, which is that they just want to be left alone. So he's like, "Hey, I found you. You know, more might mm-hmm. come. We're important. You know." It's like literally the millions that the, that the, that the Nagus rules over. They will come here. Trust me. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll fuck off if you just let us. I'm like, eh, that sounds good. We can agree to that. I do like I I do like how how at the how at the end Rom revealed to Quark he was like yeah so by the way um, we still made a profit all uh, off of all of this charity how so I embezzled a lot of oh, money yeah. because Zek was using his own personal funds with his charity for the with his char- charitable ways for this shit so you're welcome. <laughs> I love that a lot, especially because Rom seemed like he was buying into it for a little bit. But nope, Rom actually is a good Ferengi from time to time. Rom, st- Rom still realized I, I I need a way out. <laughs> though though in though in that same in that same vein, I wish he had kept it for himself. Oh yeah, that's true. Pressure told Quark. As I just love May Hardu. I think. Uh, the actor the actor tiny ron which is great because that guy's like seven foot tall um yeah, literally uh he's hilarious he has really good body language much like renee where he has uh, a lot of makeup and obviously can't talk so just seeing him cry and be so worried about uh-huh. Zach is just so great yeah poor guy he actually cares yeah he loves him <laughs> And Wallace Shawn is just the best. Just great that he's going to come back. That he wasn't just a he's one-time gonna... character. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to come back a few, a few more times throughout the rest of the show. I think, like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah it, it's it's always nice. It's always fun to see the Nagus. He's 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 a lot of fun. <laughs> I was I was actually watch I was actually watching this episode with a friend and uh, and so and so it was it it was um it was it was the it was the same it was the same uh it was the same thing that had that happened when when uh when when we when we first met the Nagus like he 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 started he started talking and my friend he was like wait that voice sounds familiar who is that and I looked at him I was like have you ever seen the Princess Bride and like the like the light bulb immediately clicked on he was like oh and I'm like exactly <laughs> that is the man. Have you ever seen Toy Story? <laughs> oh Rex. my God, that's right. He was Rex. Ah. Yeah. Once again, people. Wait, who who was Rex? Sorry, well, I, was, I was multitasking. Well, Sean is Rex. Oh my God, Story. he was. Yeah. Right. And I think I remember what? us talking about this. I had just forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Once again, like the the, the continuing the, the continuing underlying theme of of, of this entire podcast. Finding out that finding out that all of these people have been part of our lives, have been part of our lives all along, but we just didn't know it. <laughs> it's very true. Yep. I forgot to mention last episode. This is more for, for me. But I don't know if you guys ever watched Twin Peaks. But uh, for any of you out there who have, uh, Ulani in the last episode is Wendy Robbie, who is uh, Nadine, aka the woman with the eye patch, who's uh, the horrible woman from Twin Peaks. So that was really interesting because I was like, I knew her from somewhere. 
I know she annoys me, and I don't know why. Why do you irk me so? <laughs> it's like when I first saw uh, Louise Fletcher. I was like, why do I hate you? Oh, right. Uh, what <laughs> and your character in this is pretty awful, too. It is. It is. It's a perfect casting. She, she plays the most realistically evil people. She, yes. prob- she probably could have made a great Dolores Umbridge, honestly. Though I like the actress Ooh. who plays her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, indeed. She was great. Is there anything else to say for profit motive? No, just uh, Quark is a persuasive speaker and Rom is secretly a genius. I like when Rom wins. It's always good when Rom wins. Yes. Always like that. All right. Well, that has been our episode. Next week, we will be discussing season three, episodes 17 and 18, which will be visionary and distant voices. As always, I want to thank my lovely co-host for joining me every week on this journey. Our theme song is by Captain Meatshield. You can check him out on Twitter at CPTN underscore Meatshield. We are a part of the Tuscan Shed Media Network. You can see more of our shows at TuscanShed.com. If you like this show, like, subscribe, rate, and review it any way that you can. It does help us find new listeners. Until next time, this is the crew of Geek Space 9 signing off. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.